Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Part of the Boundless Audio Podcast Network. Hello, bitches, witches, and everyone else. Welcome to Winding Up Our Street, the Women's History Podcast, where on a normal day we would talk about women from history you probably haven't heard of but should. But this is spooky season, which means we're talking about women that you haven't heard of, probably don't need to, but we're going to anyways. This entire episode is basically going to be about you making an unhealthy decision and regretting it later. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly, and (laughs) I think you'll never regret listening to our podcast. I mean, hopefully we make it fun enough where you're like, wow, that was awful. Keep it coming. I mean, mine's not... Mine about is a, a serial murderer. Okay, our, can't say she doesn't murder anyone. Our our last our, our first spooky episode, we both were like, we're hitting hol- there's we're hitting no, spooky season hard. There's no foreplay. We're diving straight into serial killers. Uh, I have tried to veer away from that ever so slightly, and actually, I think everyone's going to be very thrilled with my story. Because it's not so much about death, but the precious gift that is life. <laughs> Getting philosophical. It doesn't sound very Halloween. You will see. Um, but before we get started, we have a very special say their name. We do. We got, we, we finally went to our P.O. box. Okay, I tried to go to the P.O. box earlier. and it, it, By like two days. <laughs> okay, I, I, for, I was going to go and then I forgot because I didn't understand how the hours of the post office worked. And then I went and the key did not work. And then yeah, Kelly the had to o- go. The post office fucked stuff up. Uh, it's not our fault. It, no, nothing is ever our fault. We're doing our best. But we got a note from uh, one of our lovely funerarian funeristas, Justine. What's up, Justine? And this is what it says. Emily hasn't heard this yet. Oh, I, I haven't. Did I? Oh, yeah, I did read it to you. Okay, car, well, I, I forgot, forgot all that. of it because I was in a happy, I was in a state of euphoria where I, I don't know I didn't what's going read on. It to you, but maybe I did. So it says, "Hello, ladies. I found your podcast at some point during the apocalypse and started at the beginning and binged the whole thing." As I went through the earlier episodes, I thought, I hope they've done Viola Desmond and Mona Parsons. And then I got to Viola's episode. My next thought was, I need to get one of those Viola Desmond $10 bills and send one. It's it's Canadian $10 bills. Yes, it's purple. It has Viola's face on it. And it's the most beautiful thing in the world. Also, did you know um, Canadian, Canadian money is plastic? What? Let me touch it. Okay, anyways, let me finish the finish this. So she wanted to send us a, a Viola Desmond $10 bill. She says, but I haven't regularly carried cash on me. Earlier this month, a friend and I traveled to see Hey Viola, which was an amazing show about Viola Desmond's life. And I took some cash with me and I managed to end up with Viola in my change. She said, love the show and keep up the energy. Keep being awesome. I did paraphrase some of that because not everyone needs to know about Justine's life. Just us. Um, so we will eventually cover Mona Parsons. But yeah, so Justine sent us um, a, $10, a 10 Canadian dollar Viola Desmond, and then she sent us some fancy bookmarks and a Bay of Fundy, Nova Scotia 
Margaret's Margaretsville lighthouse. Ooh, that she took. She took this. Th- so it's a post. Shut up. No, I just realized that it says Shut photo up. by M- Justine McDonald. It's very very beautiful. Justine. Justine, honey. Okay, first of all, can I'm assuming you must have taken these other pictures too. I, whether you did or not, we we love you so so much. Did you also notice that there's Braille on this? Yeah. Canadian money is an entirely different level. Also, the card she sent it in is also her photograph. Oh my god, that's gorgeous. She's it's a beautiful, seen. it's a beautiful like woodland winter scene with it's a bunch a winery. of winery. Read, read the back. Okay, hold on. Local winery brewery, Bent Ridge near uh Martok, Nova Scotia by Justine. <gasps> okay. Also, her website is on here, so I'm a shout yeah, her out. Go for it. www.justinemcdonald.com photography j-u-s-t-i-n-e-m-a-c-d-o-n-a-l-d dot photography god damn that's gorgeous yeah all the pictures she oh my god and this like seriously canadian money is super cool i'm gonna have to send a picture of this to my canadian friend i actually this is super appropriate i just celebrated canadian thanksgiving what canadian thanksgiving what it's thanksgiving but in canada um, where everyone says "ope" when they cheer. Well, there are other people in our lives that say "ope." <laughs> There's so many people. It's very, it's very Minnesotan and Midwestern. But yeah, no, I have a friend um, who's from Canada, and do they really call it Thanksgiving? Like, yes. wouldn't they call it something different? No, it's called because to give thanks, Thanksgiving. I know it's, it's not weird. a uniquely American thing. Well, then I- I'm sure there's a different name for it in French, but yeah. So we, I mean, it's it's a there's some like you know kind of colonizationy themes to it, like the American Thanksgiving, but also it's about celebrating the harvest and an abundance of food. And so she uh, she made these um, oh crap, what are they called like Nanaimo bars or and they're so she's from Western Canada, like the Northwest. And they're specific to where she grew up and they were delicious. They're like a cookie, cookie graham cracker bar with like layers of fudge and frosting and stuff on top. They were amazing and I love them. So this, this is, this whole week is like, oh, Canada, a place of badass babes. That, that's all neither I got. of the women I'm covering are from Canada. Ne- okay. Neither well, of them are originally from the United States though, either this time. Okay. So. Um, neither is mine, but what I'm saying is I just think it's very appropriate that I, I think I manifested all of this Canadian love. Okay. By no, going to yeah, Canadian go Thanksgiving. I, I, I put it on my mental vision board and now we are rolling in Canadian love. And that is the warmest kind of love. It's the mapleiest kind of love. <laughs> and everyone from Canada is like, fuck this bitch. <laughs> right? I was like, you're being so, um, oh God, I can't even think of the word. Extra. Sure, that's not the word I was There's a think lot of. going on here. It, you know, it's been a, it's been a couple weeks. It's been a little crazy, so I'm feeling kind of punchy. But seriously, Justine, thank you so much for these amazing gifts, your beautiful photography. I specifically asked if someone could send us Viola Desmond money, and 
I can't believe did. someone I actually know. did. I'm We're like, We're so thrilled. What do you mean I'm not screaming into the void? Justine, you're the fucking best. We may not be screaming into the void, but we may be talking into it. I'm gushing into the void. <laughs> <is> so disgusting. <laughs> hey, hey, just remember if you gush into the void, the void will gush back. <laughs> Kelly has no patience for my bullshit. So let's get I'll on just to feel our uncomfortable wine. now. <laughs> Would you feel better if I said no? Least? No. Actually, that the word doesn't bother <laughs> oh, me. Oh, really? Okay, because we lost half our listeners yeah, with me saying thanks. that. They were fine with gushing, not with moist. There are two kinds she of people in this stop. world. Okay, so the wine we are drinking is spooky appropriate. It's called the Velvet Devil. It's a 2019 Merlot from Washington State, which just north is where my Canadian friend is from. Connections. So uh, the back says, land to hand, vineyard to bottle, the Velvet Devil Merlot. Uh, vinted and bottled by Charles Smith Wines, Mattawa and Quincy, Washington, USA. Oh, that's uh, that's all it says. Government warning. According to the Surgeon General, women should not drink alcoholic beverages. Drop to the next line during pregnancy. <laughs> like it's, it's never a full sentence. It's always women should not drink alcohol. Oh, but like only when they're pregnant. Right. Like oh, that's, oh, just so you know, there, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. a side thing. We know what they're actually saying. But I really love this. Uh, I love this label. It's white and it's just like solid, thick black writing and then a little pitchfork. And it kind of reminds me of The Devil Wears Prada. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I like I know that's a high heel with the pitchfork, but just that style. Um, so you know what? We're going into this wine blind. So I think this is a great opportunity for us to make up the flavors we're tasting. Mm. So Kelly, I think we should, uh, cheers to Justine. Cheers to Justine and Canada. Just the best. I can't make a good just pun. It's fine. Oh, Canada, my great forgiving land. (laughs) Hopefully. Oh, that's good. Oh, it's so mellow. Yeah. It's like, like sometimes these Merlots are really thick and coat your mouth, but this is very refreshing. It just kind of splashes to the back of your throat. You're being weird again. Welcome ASR, ASMR mommy. She has joined the chat. No, this is really good. Um, hold on, let me. I'm getting notes of leather and shoe polish and a jammy finish and an exquisite mouthfeel. <laughs> You're trying so hard. I'm trying so hard. No, I mean this it's is actually just, a really good red. No, yeah. this is fucking Ooh. delicious. If if you if you don't like Merlots because they're too intense, this would be the perfect one for you because this is a Merlot that's like, oh hey, I'm a Merlot, but it's like no big deal. Just like super cash. Soups cash. Soups cash. Like it's an unassuming Merlot. I think that's why it's called the Velvet Devil, because wasn't the devil's greatest trick getting the world to believe he didn't exist? Cha-cha. So it's like Mellow and unassuming and covert. Mm-hmm. 
this is what uh, I spent way too much money on for my English degree so I could read into wine and make metaphors <laughs> that are slightly biblical. It's okay. fine. I still love you. So Kelly, you're going first, nope. right? Oh, crap. I am. Okay. Well, that's fine. Um, are you sure? I will just keep talking. It's all right. You know what? I feel like I've committed to people hearing my voice, so let's just do it. So today I am covering Marjorie McCall. I'm not going to tell you anything else about her because it's going to spoil the fun surprise. So special shout out to friend of the pod, Jory, who sent me the story. I love you. She's also the one who uh, gifted us with Olga of Kiev which mm-hmm. is like one of my favorite stories that I've ever covered on this podcast. So Jory's always coming at me with the hits. So for most of the women we cover, their death is the end of the story. Like I'm constantly being like, and then they died. Turns out Legacy. Ghost <laughs> but for the woman I'm going to talk about today, her death was just the beginning. Dun, dun, dun. So today we're traveling back to 1695 Ireland, where we meet Marjorie McCall. And her, I love this because her name is spelled M-A-R-G-O-R-I-E. So it kind of looks like Marguerite, like Margori, hmm. which is super spooky and theme appropriate. So we don't know anything about her early life, except that she was born in Northern Ireland before eventually marrying a surgeon named John McCall. And that's where her last name came from. We don't even know where her maiden name was. Together, the couple settled down in Church Place in Lurgan County, Armagh, Northern Ireland. I know I pronounced that wrong. We're all going to move on with our lives. Remember our forgiving Canadian friends. Mm -hmm. So Marjorie's life was likely average for a woman of her time, dedicated to keeping the home and having children and supporting her husband however she could. But wherever she went or whatever she was doing, Marjorie wore a beautiful gold ring. And perhaps this was her wedding band, but it was definitely most likely her most valuable possession. Because, like, her her husband's a surgeon, but I don't think in the way that we're thinking of it. Like, ooh, he's raking in the big bucks. Like, he's probably just, like, throwing leeches on people and slicing open abscesses, obsessives. Abscess. Abscesses. Abscesses. Okay. (laughs) That word got real hard real fast. Uh, But, you know, like, he's not performing open heart surgery. Like, and I'm pretty sure surgeon was, like, his side gig to just show you how. I don't think that they were incredible, like, super crazy well off. Yeah. Um, So tragedy struck the family in 1695 when Marjorie was stuck with a terrible fever. And she died. And then she died. Yep. So uh, I think that's the quickest I've ever gotten to the, and then she died. Yeah. Usually it's at least like a page. I I try to get a page's worth of life out of my stories before the person dies. Uh, That didn't really happen this time. So a wake was held for Marjorie. Family and mourners gathered and took notice that Marjorie was still wearing her gold ring. And like the sword and the stone, many, including her husband, tried to pull the ring off of Marjorie's dead finger. And this wasn't out of greed. 
Maybe, you know, that like second cousin twice removed who's always been kind of sketchy. Maybe her go was greedy, but it was more likely uh, to deter grave robbers who commonly pillage graves for the deceased's valuables. Just like the ancient Egyptians of yore. So despite all of their combined efforts, the ring would not move from Marjorie's swollen finger. So nowadays, a wake may last a few hours or a day and is often used as a time for mourners to say goodbye to the deceased. However, wakes had a very practical purpose uh, back in the day, literally to watch and see if the deceased person would wake. Medicine in the 1600s left much to be desired of determining whether or not someone was actually dead was nearly as hard as keeping people alive in the first place. Because of this, wakes would last for days to prevent the horror of premature burial. Yeah, getting buried alive. Fucking nightmare. History is full of these terrifying stories of people being buried alive, and it was such a significant concern that patents for a wide variety of safety coffins have been recorded. And there there are things like from having a tube a breathing tube that goes up to the ground to having an alarm system. Uh, there was one, there was one safety coffin that was basically, it was like a small bomb shelter. Like it was super plush and luxurious and there might have been like a little liquor cabinet in it. It was, it's nuts. Well, I mean, it's also why they installed like bells above, like above ground yes. was so that if someone got buried alive, they could like ring the bell and alert the grave digger. Yeah, I'm yeah, like, that's so creepy. Okay. Here's the thing though. There were, there are so many stories of grave diggers or like the, you know, grave watcher, Ten, tender, tender yeah. Um, hearing the bells because they'd like blow in the wind or an animal would run mm-hmm. by. And then it's like, oh God, I got to dig this person up. You're freaking out. And it's like, no, they're still super fucking dead. Got to rebury them. And after a certain point, like I would just start hearing bells and be like, you know what? That sounds like a you problem. I'm going to go back to eating my grave sandwich. Right? <laughs> grave sandwich. <laughs> It is 2 p.m. It is lunchtime for me. Fuck off. Or 2 a.m. Fuck off. So uh, despite all of these different patents for safety coffins, there is no record of any of these uh, actually preventing a premature burial. They definitely happen. It's just that they didn't happen to anyone who uh, had a safety coffin. So the horrific truth truth was that if you were accidentally put in the ground alive, you weren't going to come out that way. Even after a multi-day wake, Marjorie didn't wake up and she was buried by her family in Shankill Graveyard, confident that she was dead. Okay. Valid. While Marjorie's husband, children, and others mourned her passing, others saw it as an opportunity. A pair of nameless grave robbers knew that Marjorie was buried with her precious gold ring and thought it was just such a shame that a valuable piece of jewelry such as that should be locked away underground. When they could sell it and like, I don't know, get drunk. Maybe I'm, I I might be being a little harsh. Like maybe they're really just trying to like feed their families and times right. are rough. You don't know. You're burying precious metal underground. What is the dead person really going to do with it? Um, however, we want to frame these, these grave robbers. <laughs> 
we'll, we'll find out what happens to them. So not long after her burial, perhaps the same night, the grave robbers skulked into the Shankill graveyard, located Marjorie's fresh grave, and began digging, as their name implies. Once they had cracked open Marjorie's coffin, they located the gold ring still stuck to her finger. And just as the mourners had, the robbers struggled to dislodge the ring from Marjorie's finger. Frustrated and seeing very little point in being gentle with a dead body that they're already like defiling the grave of, they began to cut off Marjorie's finger with a knife. As the blade sliced into Marjorie's finger, her eyes shot open. The almost certainly dead woman awoke from her slumber, scaring the figurative and literal shit out of the grave robbers who fled in terror. I mean, yeah. So whether they're trying to feed their families or their assholes, I bet they found a different line of work. Telemarketing. Right. Way worse. (laughs) Oh, my God. Can, can, Can you imagine, like, there is someone... Who's like great, 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 great grandfather, like passed down the story of like, yeah, I tried to rob this grave and the bitch was alive. And like, it's just become family folklore. It was this bitch. (laughs) Marjorie is that bitch. So we don't know what the fuck Marjorie was thinking at the, at this time or the severe, or if the severity of her situation even hit her. Whatever tapestry of unimaginable emotions that she was going through, she fell back on instinct crawled out of the grave and began walking home, which sounds like so basic, but what the fuck else do you do? Right, like, yeah, I don't think there is anything else to do. Like, you just, well, I don't want to be in the grave anymore, so I gotta, like, deal with that. Where the fuck, it's the middle of the night, I'm just gonna go home. Like, there's no one around. Uh, (laughs) But it just seems it's like, did she stop on a McDonald's at, you know, on the way? Just, it's, so at the McCall home, John and his children took comfort in the warmth of the fire, beginning their new lives without wife and mother Marjorie, when there was a familiar knock at the door. John was disturbed by the sound and exclaimed, if your mother were still alive, I'd swear that was her knock. Because he talks like a transatlantic radio personality instead of a 1600s Irishman. He opened the door to see his almost certainly dead, it's totally fine wife standing there. Still in her funeral dress. She did not stop to change. No. I mean, (laughs) if she was, it would be at home. She was holding her Big Mac. Being buried alive works up a hunger. Understandably, John fainted at the sight, and legend also says his hair turned white. The fact he did not have a heart attack and immediately die is truly shocking to me. Because can you imagine your... Any dead relative, let alone your dead wife who you just buried showing up at your door, I I think I, I think it'd kill me. I think I'd die. I don't think I'm that strong of a person. So we can only hope that once the shock wore off, uh, that John and the children were excited to be reunited with the definitely not but nearly dead Marjorie. And as for Marjorie, she lived for another decade and even had another child or children before dying for realsies this time, we hope, in 1705 and being reinterred in Shankill Graveyard. 
So many of the graves in Shank Hill are worn and broken. They're lying in pieces on the ground. Right. It's super, super old. And like many of the old graves in Shank Hill, uh, the inscription on Marjorie's is largely worn away and illegible. But a newer piece of stone is attached to the bottom with the inscription that reads, Marjorie McCall lived once, buried twice. And that is the story of Resurrection Marjorie, who lived once but was buried twice. Also, the cool thing about her grave is, like, a lot of the, you know, I said the stones are broken and pieces yeah. on the ground. It looked like from the picture there's, like, a strip of metal kind of on the outside rim. And, I, and there's a crack through it, but I think that's keeping the stone itself together. Probably. Like, they're they're like, oh, no, we... We don't want to piss off this lady who has already risen from the grave once. We got to. Because how many, how long was it from when she got right, uh, grave robbed when, like from when she was buried? It, uh, so we don't know for sure. It may have been the night of her funeral. Cause it went, it couldn't have been that long. No, no. Cause suffocate. she would have just died. Yeah. Yeah. My th- question is like, would she have even woken up? Because she's getting dug up and she doesn't wake up until someone literally tries to cut off her finger. So would she have just stayed asleep and then, and then suffocated? Or would she have had the horror of waking up, realizing she was buried alive and then die? Mm. Totally aware. I, ugh. But I just thought that was really cool. So yeah, it's kind of like a feel good story about someone who didn't die. I mean, did, but didn't. Well. And then did. Yeah. Did, but didn't, then didn't. Yeah. Did, but didn't, then did. We hope. Hey, guys. We know times have been tough lately for all of us. And during hard times, it can be difficult if you don't have anyone to talk to, or it can be hard to talk about certain topics. Being alone with your thoughts can be isolating. This is why we are sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen to and help you. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Thank goodness. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that gives you access to the help that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. That is Amazon fast. Then you schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages, and everything you share is completely confidential, just like with an in-person therapist. You can request a new therapist at any time at no additional charges. If you want to talk to someone about your mental health, you can get a 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash herstory. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash herstory. Yeah, mine's a bit darker than that. <laughs> okay, um, well, that's super and a fun. a lot longer. Well, uh, let's crack into it. Who are you whining about today? Griselda Blanco. This name sounds familiar. Oh, I know who this is. She's a bad bitch. Yes. I'm into it. Maya Rudolph played her in uh, the Drunk History episode. Oh. So I lo- so I only I see her I've, as I Maya Rudolph. I don't think Rudolph. I've seen this episode of Drunk History. Yeah, I, I only see her as Maya Rudolph. So everyone else can join me in that beautiful imagining. <laughs> there was a 
Netflix documentary, I think, recently made about her, who Sophia Varga played her. Ooh. Or Ver- Vergara, however you pronounce her name. Sophia Vergara? Yeah. Oh, my God. Her. Okay. Hot. I want their two versions of this woman to, like, team up and... Which do like, crime. That is so appropriate because she is Colombian. Yes. Sophia is Colombian. So. Yes. It's like, good on you, Hollywood. Yay. Any, well, not that anyone particularly probably wants to play this woman. But anyway, so she was born in 1943. She, and she started her life of crime real early. But before that. She shanked the doctor who tried to spank her. She came, she, she came out just <laughs> like, no. Fuck you. <laughs> first, first off, there, there's a lot of confusion about where she was actually born. Um, a lot of places listed as Santa Marta, Colombia, which is where she was baptized. But some somewhere in that area. So yeah. Colombia. She, she was born in Colombia. <laughs> so... Imagine Encanto. Yeah. Colombia. Not quite. <laughs> not not that part of Colombia. <laughs> um, she grew up in poverty with her mother. I couldn't find really inf- any information on her father. So, yep. Um, when she was 11, she allegedly kidnapped a 10-year-old boy for ransom. Oh, no. And then shot and killed him when his parents couldn't pay her. Oh, no. Allegedly. Um, so this is how we're starting. She's like straight up murdering her peers. <laughs> yep. Um, I will say the story that she did that was told by a former lover of hers. So who knows if he was just making it up or not. He, he could have been a little bitter. But I think that kid's family would like when she became really, I mean, it's like Columbia, a big though, deal. They would have been like, cartels and stuff. actually, yeah, this bitch. Well, and they may have not alive. known She's, it was her. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, man. By 13, she was a pickpocket, and to escape um, abuse and sexual assault at home from her mother's boyfriend, oh. yay, she uh, ran away and, you know, continued being a pickpocket and a looter. Um, during Also during these years, the 13 to 19-ish, she got her first taste of turning crime into business. She met and would later marry a man named Carlos Trujillo, who was a smuggler of undocumented immigrants from C- Colombia into the United States. Okay. They would go on to have three sons together, but their marriage actually wouldn't last. Um, and allegedly, in the later years, uh, Griselda may or may not have asked someone to kill him. <laughs> Allegedly. Um, We're not going to get sued by Griselda's people. We do know that he met a violent end in the 1970s. It's just uh, not 100% proven that she ordered it. Right. Well, and he's obviously in a very dangerous business. So it's kind of one of those like, who could have done it? It's like, it'd be easier to say who didn't do it. (laughs) The baby didn't do it. Um. So after she left Carlos um, in the early nineteen in the early nineteen seventies, she would begin a relationship with Alberto Brava, Ooh. who would go on to become her second husband, and who would introduce Griselda to the cocaine trade coming out of Colombia. You know, it's just all about finding that piece that completes yeah, you. you know? <laughs> who do you want to go into the cocaine business with? Yeah, um, they would move to Queens, New York, where their bu- business would explode. 
figuratively, not literally. <laughs> um, I'm glad you clarified because I'm like, it could have. Griselda found an absolutely genius way to smuggle cocaine into New York. It wouldn't work these days with like the x-ray scanners and yes. stuff. But what she would do is she would hire young women, like people working the streets and stuff to get on planes with cocaine hidden in their bras and underwears. Like she would make pockets for them to put them in. I was just gonna, I was just gonna make a joke about like, yeah, stuff your bra and you yep. got these big old Coke titties. And so that's what Griselda did. She, she specially designed bras and underwear that had like pockets for people to smuggle cocaine. Again, this is why the fashion industry won't let us have pockets. Exactly. Like, I've seen what bitches do with pockets. It they steal and they smuggle cocaine. <laughs> right. So with Griselda coming up with that idea, they had a direct line of white powder coming in from Colombia and they were taking a hefty chunk of business away from the Italian mafia. Oh. Who kind of like currently own New York. And this is when Griselda started becoming known as the godmother. Like right? the fairy godmother? No, like the godfather Al Pacino. Oh, shoot up. The, co- the godmother. godmother. Oh my um, God. So with business booming, her husband would return to Colombia to restructure like the export end of their business. Like they they had the the mules. Yes. But he was like, okay, let's... Let's figure out, like, the making and the getting it to the mules and streamline that. You know, it's all about synergy. Yeah, right. <laughs> Meanwhile, Griselda was on the selling end and things were going well in New York. However, good things can never last. Not when Coke's involved. Right? And by 1975, everything would start falling apart. Griselda and her husband were busted in a joint NYPD DEA sting called Operation Banshee, which was the (gasps) largest to ever happen at the time. Okay. I'm a little. I know. I'm sorry. I completely forgot about that. Okay. There's a backstory to why I'm so (laughs) mad right now. I, I had two spooky themed wines. Neither of them really fit with my stories. So See, the I reason like, I went with the Velvet Devil, one, it's a twist off, but two, I'm like, I could have imagined Griselda in like a velvet dress okay, like, this selling is true. cocaine. This is true. That's why I went with it. I completely forgot about Operation Banshee. my other wine is called Banshee. And I was like, Kelly, which one fits with your story the best? <laughs> She's like, let's just do the twist off. Fuck it. I completely forgot about that. Griselda is a bit of a Velvet Devil, I mean, though. we are like not even, we are one page into a six page story. So Holy you can understand fuck. why I completely forgot about Operation Banshee. Okay. So before Griselda could even be indicted in the sting, um, she managed to escape back to Colombia. And I don't know if they have expedition treat like extradition treaties. Extradition treaties in Colombia or not. She didn't get sent back. So so allegedly, there's a lot of allegedly's in my story. <laughs> well, it's kind of like Pablo Escobar. It's like oh, this he gets person, brought up. Well, it's like this person is so big. Their operation is so huge. They've got so much money that really nothing is out of the realm of possibility. Right. And you only have the legend, like the word so, of mouth. Some of it you can be like, yeah, we know she did this. And others it's like, well, she might have. Exactly. It, it, like the, the legend outgrows them. Right. So supposedly when she got back to Colombia, she killed her husband in a shootout over m- uh, missing millions of dollars that he, she blamed him for. Um, according to the legend, according to the family history, 
or what is it? Family lore. According to family lore. <laughs> um, Griselda pulled a pistol from her boots, shot her husband in the face, just as he fired around from his Uzi, shooting her in the stomach. Others believe that maybe Pablo Escobar killed her husband just because he was like kind of the other big name in Colombia at the time. Yeah. Um, whichever account is true later in life when Griselda died, her autopsy would reveal that she indeed had a bullet scar in her torso. Oh my God. So she did so at get some shot. point she did get shot in the stomach. You know what though? I, I don't imagine she's like futzing with a bunch of rando no names, but whenever they're like, Oh, you know, who, who's the most salacious and notorious person that could have shot her? Like Pablo Escobar. It's like, no, they're not saying it, he shot her. They're saying he shot her, hu- killed her husband oh, oh. because he was, you know, okay. But big still, competition. it seems like it always has to be the most salacious. Do you think Pablo Escobar actually rolled up and would shoot someone himself? Do you think he ever had No, to- I could see it being like one of his goons. Exactly. But it probably wouldn't be him unless they were directly working with him. Yeah. But, you know, it's always like, oh, yeah, Pablo Escobar shot this guy. It's like, actually, it was one of his, like, no-name lackeys, and we're never actually going to know who the fuck that was. Right. Anyways, so upon the death, the horrible death of her second husband... Uh, Griselda also earned the title Black Widow. She was also now in full control of this huge drug empire. Because just because they got busted by the DEA doesn't mean they stopped selling cocaine. It does it ever? No. You know, you do not get in the cocaine business to let a little thing like the DEA deter you, okay? In fact, they, they think that Griselda uh, smuggled cocaine aboard the ship known as the Gloria, which um, the Colombian government had sent to America as part of the bicentennial race in New York Harbor. And there, there's all there's sources that are like, yeah, she totally was like, yep, I need I need my drugs to get to my people. Yep. Like, why not? I also love that she was played by Sofia Vergara, whose name is Gloria. In Modern Family, right. I'm just saying. Um, in 1978, she would marry husband number three, a bank robber this time named Dario Sepulveda, um, and she would have her fourth son. So she had three with her first husband, and then she hasn't had another kid till this one. Can I just say, Dario, great name. It just makes me think of Game of Thrones. Oh, I, I didn't watch Game of Thrones. I read, I, only, I read the books. Oh, okay. I only watched what was on when you were watching it. Yeah. <laughs> Which I only got through like season one and a half. I do not have the emotional energy to watch a show that is going it's to so give much. me so much grief. Um. Anyway, so she had her fourth son who she named Michael Corleone <clears throat> because she knew people called her the godmother and she really took that mantle to heart, so she thought it was fitting to name her boy after Al Pacino's character in The Godfather. That is... Okay, I was just going to say, like, wait, which came first? No, 100% <laughs> she named it after that. Dude, okay, can I just say, I love how she's, like, really getting into this. She's like, no, she's like, you know what, if that's what you're going to call me? Yeah, I, let, me, let me lean into this reputation because I'm a bad bitch. Mm-hmm. So obviously she couldn't really go back to New York. The DEA and the NYPD were probably looking for her. Mm -hmm. So she set her sights on somewhere new. Somewhere that I think still has problem with Columbia drug running. Miami. I was just going to say Florida. 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 Um, (laughs) Where she would increase her notoriety to earn another nickname of the Queen of Cocaine. Oh, see, I thought you were going to call her Florida man. (laughs) Florida woman. Florida woman. Woman. Anyways. Um... (laughs) 
She was an uh, so she was an early pioneer of the Miami-based cocaine trade, which is how she kind of got that name. And Griselda would use her tremendous skills as a businesswoman to get the drug into as many hands as possible. Because she's like, there's this huge gap in the market. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get my my product out there and my name out there. And for a while, it would pay off, as schemes do. Um, and in Miami, she was she lived large. She had multiple homes, expensive cars, a private jet. Nothing was off limits for her. She lived as a movie star, basically. She hosted parties for all the major players, mostly of the drug world. Yep. (laughs) Um, However, just because she was enjoying her newfound wealth and the status that it brought her, this did not mean her violent days were behind her. No, you don't. You're not like... I'm just going to like murder people and push drugs until I get a mansion and then I'm going to stop. This isn't a one last job. This is her life. This is her entire identity. She named her child after the character from The Godfather. She's in this. Right. Uh, There are, uh, you know... So she was obviously like, I think of like Breaking Bad, how eventually like you get to the point where you're going to start killing off rivals. Mm-hmm. But there's also rumors that she was forcing people to have sex with her at gunpoint. Oh, no. Um, That's she not also okay. became addicted to smoking large amounts of unrefined cocaine, which is known as bazooka. And this would, uh, you know, lead to her becoming increasingly paranoid. You never do the drug yourself. I mean, I will say... The cocaine trade is dangerous. Like, yes, any drug trade, any underground thing is going to be dangerous. And in Miami during this time, there was increasing competition among the various factions. Um, part of which was the Medellin cartel, which is also out of Colombia, uh, which was they were starting to fly in like plane loads of cocaine at a Holy time. Shit. So obviously conflict would soon erupt. This conflict would start in about 1979 and go on until 1984 in South Florida, and it would just turn into a cocaine war zone. Griselda was seeking to eliminate competition. She would display brazen acts of ruthlessness that would plunge the whole city into periods of violence that would become known as the Cocaine Cowboy Wars. The Cocaine Cowboy Wars. Yeah. So the first- What the fuck? Yeah. Okay, who names this shit? I don't know, but I want them to, like, come into my life and be like, this period of your life is now known as this. Yeah, like, can they narrate my life? Okay, I want them to write the script of my life, and then it's narrated by Morgan Freeman. I would think slightly more wine. Okay. Just, like, a little bit. The Velvet Devil has you. Just a little bit. She's got you, babe. So the first shots of this cowboy war. Okay, that's enough. I said a little bit, and I think you poured more than you poured me the first time. Okay, well, here, I will take some. Jesus, I'm sorry for being so generous. It's the spirit of Canadian Thanksgiving. (laughs) Or the cocaine. Anyways. So much cocaine. We do not do cocaine. Um, No, no. That was hot. So the first shots of this cocaine cowboy war, she licked my glass, in case anyone was wondering. It was very sensual. Um, So the first shots were fired on July 11th, 1979. And of course, Griselda was at the, the the tip of it. Her hitman killed a, a rival drug dealer at Crown Liquor Store in the the Dadeland shopping mall. I really hope one of our listeners is like, oh, shit, I've been there. 
oh shit, I had my first job at Wet Seal Bear. Yeah, right. <laughs> then the hitmen chased liquor store employees throughout the mall with their guns blazing. Uh, luckily, they only wounded the workers who had no, like, that 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 all, always really sighed. Like, you're working your shitty retail job. You just had some Karen drop all right. of her emotional baggage on you because she went to church that morning, so now she gets to abuse you. And now a bunch of drug dealers are running through guns a-blazing. Like, I don't even get insurance from this job. Fuck you. (laughs) So even though luckily the workers were wounded and they didn't hurt anyone other than the drug lord or other drug, like, gang members, um, massive damage had been done, obviously. And, like, something out of, like, Heath Ledger, Joker-style playbook, the assassins arrived in an armored delivery van... That said, on the side, it said, happy time, complete party supply. What the <laughs> fuck? Happy time, complete, complete party, party supply. supply. That sounds like a Japanese game show. <laughs> happy time, complete party supply. Happy or like, time, complete party or like supply. one of their shirts that like make no sense because they just yes. put a bunch of like English words together. And before someone comes after us, we know that all of the like... Asian character shirts in the United States. It's the same yeah. thing. Oh, we, we get it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, we I, can't read it, so we can't say it. Uh, yeah. Um, so Ra- Raul Diaz, who was a Dade County homicide detective, he said that they used to call them the war wagon because the sides were covered in quarter inch steel with gun ports cut into them. I thought you were just going to say quarters. <laughs> like, okay, but you didn't see them coming then? <laughs> no. So yeah, like it was reinforced. It was like... Yeah. A, a van with reinforced sides, and then they cut holes to be able to stick their gun muzzles out. Oh, it's like the like the pirate ships with the cannon bits. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> there's a name for those. Yeah. So obviously, because they like ran through the mall, the war wagon or the uh, <laughs> happy time complete party supply <laughs> van uh, and ended up in police custody. So Griselda had to find a more efficient way for her hitmen to get to where she needed them, which I'm like, wouldn't you want like a less obvious way anyway? Can we rename our business? Happy time, time fun, fun sl- party supply. <laughs> Happy time, complete party party supply. Yeah, this isn't some half-ass party supply. This is complete. We have everything, including the cocaine. Yes, the cocaine, the pony, the drugged up clown. We got Whatever it all. Whatever you need. Yeah. We have it. We're going to make your fucking... Uh, uh oh god what is the what is this the pets the like pets that help people what is that show oh my god the super pets rescue pets that... paw patrol paw patrol <laughs> we're gonna make your paw patrol party poppin poppin <laughs> paw patrol I'm like, I'm like flooded with all these backpacks i've seen of paw patrol i'm like oh my god i can describe all of the characters to a sketch artist why can't i remember the name of this stupid fucking thing right so griselda's men often ended up using motorbikes during assassination a technique that she is credited with pioneering back on the streets of columbia and medellin or medellin it's neither of those. Let's just let's just commit to being wrong. Um, so yeah, she apparently pioneered or improved motorbike assassinations. That's very. It's, thing. it's very action movie. It's also very like fighting on horseback. It like is. it's old school. So by the early 1980s, 70 percent of America's cocaine and marijuana came through Miami. 
Pretty sure it still does. <laughs> and bodies quickly begin. So we're still in the midst of the cowboy wars. Yeah. The bodies began to quickly pile up throughout the city. And Griselda had her hands in all of it. Yeah. Her velvet, devilly hands. Um, so in the first five months of 1980, Miami saw 75 murders. In the last seven months, there were 169. Oh, my God. By the next year, Miami was not only the murder capital of America, but the entire world. Holy shit. This was the time when Colombian and Cuban drug dealers were killing each other regularly with submachine guns, and most of the city's homicides were due to this cocaine cowboy drug war. But if it weren't for Griselda, this time period might not have been quite so brutal. Because... She struck fear into the hearts of countless people, including fellow drug lords. As one expert put it, quote, other criminals killed with intent. They would check before they killed. Griselda would just kill and then say, well, he was innocent. That's too bad, but he's dead now. Yeah. Like, end quote. What are you going to do about it? Because she's not seeing. She didn't care. No, she, she doesn't care. She doesn't see these people as human beings where she's being calculated. She's like, I don't know. It's just I don't have to worry about them later now. Like, it, it means right. nothing to her. Oh, and that's the thing. Like, she wouldn't just go after drug lords. So one of Griselda's most trusted hitmen was Jorge Rivi Ayala. I'm going to call him Rivi. Because that's his nickname. Rivi. It's in quotes. Okay. Um, Jorge Rivi Riviala. No, Ayala. Ayala. Yep. Oh, Jorge so, Rivi, Rivi Ayala. Ayala. Okay. Yep. So I'm going to call him Rivi. Uh. Rivi would later recount that uh, when he was ordered to, to a hit, when Griselda ordered him to a hit, it meant everyone in the vicinity was to be killed, not just the target. Oh, my God. <laughs> so that meant Kelly it, is allergic to I that am. level of depravity. Innocent bystanders, women, children, Griselda did not care. Jeez. So she became known as La, Madri- Ma- La Marina. Oh, my God. La Madrina. La Madrina. I can't, for some reason, though, when I'm speaking Spanish, I always like roll my R's and sometimes it just doesn't work. See, I have the opposite problem. I just, I didn't form those muscles in my face. So when I'm like, oh, you know, uh, pero, like, but, and then pero, dog, I, I can't do the pero. Like, it's, it's pero. so, it's so awkward and uncomfortable for everyone listening. So what's interesting, so La Madrina means the godmother. Yes. But what's interesting is if you Google La Madrina, it comes up with uh, Laureen Padilla. Okay. Um, who is, oh, fruitcake. <laughs> I'm trying to remember who she is because I looked it up. Okay, so she's the, the former first lady of the Savage Skulls gang. Okay. Who was, that was like in the South Bronx. I'm assuming it was probably another drug smuggling gang. I don't know. There's a bunch of, um, there's like a movie called, oh, um, La it's Madrina. called La Madrina, the story of, um, the savage life of Lorraine, Lorraine, Padilla. Lorraine Padilla. Yeah. And she's now a community activist, former like gang first lady. That's insane. I'm here for it. Also, uh, La Madrina, that's, I was like, why does that sound familiar? Because there's an episode of Archer mm. with a character named La Madrina, yeah. the so, godmother. Griselda used to be obviously known as the godmother. So she was also known as La Madrina and she was merciless. If you didn't pay on time, you and your family were eliminated. 
if she did not want you to, she if she didn't want to pay you, you were assassinated. If you, if she thought you slighted her, you were killed. It didn't matter. Well, and you said that she's indulging in like a pure cocaine, the bazooka or whatever bazooka, it was yep. called. This is not someone who is thinking anything <sighs> through. No. I like, like this is someone where you just want to stay as far away from them as possible because if she locks onto you, you're dead. It doesn't matter what you did or did not do. Right. You're fucked and your whole family is right. gone. So Rivi wasn't quite as merciless as Grisilda. While he was a willing killer and would kill almost anyone, he drew the line with children. He often would stop other team members from murdering young kids of drug dealers that they would kill Mm -hmm. because he just wasn't okay with that. I mean, okay, murdering children. I'm I'm glad he has a line, um, but also you are potentially murdering their parents in front of them, leaving them traumatized. I'm not saying one is better than the other. I'm just saying... You're not as great as you might think no, you are. No, yeah, exactly. I'm not trying to say he was like some martyr. No, I'm just no, no. saying like. I, and and I understand that. I'm just saying like for him, if he is listening. I mean, if it wants to make you feel worse, uh, Rivi did also inadvertently end up killing one of Griselda's youngest victims because he went out to take another, he took out another one of her hit man named Jesus Castro and Castro's two-year-old child was in the car oh that he shot God. up. And died. So, yeah. And then Rivy threw himself off of a nope, cliff. Nope, Rivy's still around. Well, you probably didn't feel that bad then. Exactly. So, in late 1983, Griselda's third husband was in the line of Griselda's fire. <laughs> um, so, the husband kidnapped their son. Michael, oh, no. Michael Corleone. <laughs> you do not want to um, do that. And returned to Colombia. But obviously he didn't escape. Like, I'm like, her drugs are coming out of Columbia. She has people there. Like, if you're going to run from her, run somewhere she's never fucking been before. Like, like go to Australia. Go literally anywhere else, please. Um, She allegedly had Hitman dress as, like, Colombian police officers to gun him down in front of their son. Oh, my. That um, poor kid. She may have gotten her son back if the fact that murdering her husband had not initiated a war with his brother Paco. (laughs) But for Griselda, this was just another problem to be solved. However, before long, some of Griselda's former supporters decided to take Paco's sides, including one of her suppliers. Oh, no. So she's like pissing people off. Right. It might be her child killing policy. Right. So before things started to change for her, at the height of her power in the 1980s, Griselda oversaw about a billion dollar organization that transported 3,400 pounds of cocaine into the United States a month. But obviously shit was going to catch up with her. Okay. But can you do what every Nat Geo and Discovery Channel documentary did in the 90s and tell me how many elephants that is? No. <laughs> nope. So many elephants. So back home in Columbia, Paco was look, was out for Griselda. Um, in uh, Miami, her second husband's nephew, Jamie, was patrolling her favorite shopping malls waiting for a chance to kill him. Or kill her. Despite the, but the, despite the number of people that wanted to take her out, she would escalate the violence further when she had a drug supplier, Marta Saladringa Ocha, killed. She didn't want to pay the $1.8 million she owed her new supplier, so she just 
dumped him. She had someone kill him and dump him in a canal. Ew. She honestly, Griselda's lucky that Ochoa's father didn't pursue her because he was another like kingpin of the drug world. Right. Instead, he was just like, please stop this incessant killing. Um, A lot of people thought this was shocking because this was a man whose family was known to have helped found the Medellin cartel with Pablo Escobar. Okay. So, like, this is a man that's, like, known to run with other people that are just merciless killers. And even he's like, Griselda, it's a little much. I, and it's hard to say if, like, it was he wanted that, like, her to stop or just, like, the violence among the drug lords in general like, to this stop. has gotten a little out of control, y'all. Right. Meanwhile... La Madrina remained uh, remained in the focus of not only her enemies, but again, the DEA. You know, the DEA Mm -hmm. was already after her in New York, and they they were kind of getting back onto her. So eventually the heat got too much for Griselda, and she decided to move to California. Oh, my God. Move in in states. While there, she did lay low, and she was able to avoid both the nephew that was trying to kill her and the DEA. Um. However, eventually her second husband's nephew was arrested. And that was actually a huge threat to Griselda because she he knew a lot of her operation. Ooh. And with him out of the way and in the DEA's custody, the DEA was finally able to move on Griselda. And in 1985, she was arrested at the age of 42. She was sentenced to 20 years in jail for narcotics trafficking. However. Is this- that all? Oh, we're not done. However, this was allegedly not the end of her cocaine business and far from the end of the authorities' investigation into her dealing. The Miami-Dade District Attorney's Office, for one, wanted to convict her of murder. Fair. Right. (laughs) So such concerns aside, Grisilda began a new happy chapter in life. When news of her imprisonment was broadcasted on TV, Charles Crosby, who was a crack dealer in Oakland, decided to contact her. He was apparently, like, super enamored with her. There's a name for it. I've been watching a lot of true crime, and there's, like, a name for, like, the disorder that makes you, like, attracted to criminals and murderers. Oh, yeah, yeah, and no. I can't think of what it's called it's, right now. It's like those women who were, you know, yeah, fawning go, like, over Ted, Ted Bundy. Bundy yeah. Or, like, yeah, there's a name for it. You keep talking, I will look it up. Oh, good. So after much correspondence, the two would meet at the federal women's prison and apparently became lovers because they would pay off one of the prison staff. If Cosby is to be be believed, Griselda would actually entrust her drug empire to him, but I also just kind of believe he was probably just bullshitting. Real quick. Yep. Hybristophilia. Yeah, hybristophilia. Hybristophilia is. is a sexual interest in the and in and attraction to those who commit crimes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So Or Bonnie and Clyde syndrome. Yep. So which I having covered Bonnie, I'm not entirely sure that was it. I think she was just as bad as he was exactly. and they, they, they bonded. I don't think she was, a. I don't think I don't she fell think so into either. that life because she's like, Ooh, he's dangerous and that's hot. It's like, right. Hey, we're both dangerous exactly. and that's hot. Yeah. So with her behind bars, her enemies turned her attention to her son, not, not Michael Corleone, her oldest son, which whose name was Osvaldo. Yes. Osvaldo. Osvaldo. Okay. Just like Oswald. Oh, yeah. Osvaldo. I like the, I like, Osvaldo, in there. I like it. I don't like um, the name Oswald unless it's for a cat or a dog, but Osvaldo. I would name a kid right? that. Um, he would be shot in the leg and shoulder by, by one of Pablo Escobar's men and would later bleed to death in 1992. Oh. But 
Griselda, like, it hurt, but really the real blow came in 1994 when Rivi, her trusted hitman, uh, when she found out he had become a star witness in the murder prosecution against her. This apparently caused Griselda to have, like, a nervous breakdown in jail because Rivi had enough to send her to the electric chair multiple times over. Well, and this is the person that she's trusting with every, like, like this is kind of her, this is her muscle. This is her right hand man. Right. Oh my God. Um, so according to Cosby, the Coke dealer that I'm not in sure I trust, but like this, this is what he said. Apparently Griselda had a plan when she found Rivi was going to, um, be the star witness. Mm -hmm. Apparently, supposedly according to him, like I said, I don't really trust him. But he claimed that Griselda slipped him a note that just said JFK 5M New York or NY. So Cosby asked Griselda what it meant. And apparently she told him that she wanted him to organize a kidnapping of John F. Kennedy Jr. in New York for $5 million (gasps) in exchange for her freedom. Supposedly the kidnappers came close to pulling it off and they had managed to surround Kennedy while he was walking his dog. But the story goes that the NYPD, like, were driving around the area and scared them off. While Griselda is definitely bold enough to conceive such a plan, it's hard to trust Cosby is basically kind of what all the research came down to. Well, and the the thing is, too, when you're dealing with all these people who will kind of do anything to survive, they, they don't really have any boundaries. It's hard to know even when they're telling the truth. It's like, well, are you telling the truth because it's convenient or are you lying because it's convenient? Or are you lying because you want to look like a big shot? Yeah, exactly. So with this potential kidnapping plan collapsed, Griselda was running out of time and running out of patience and she was terrified. However, she got a stroke of luck, which she probably didn't deserve. And it was found out that Rivi was having a phone. There was like a phone sex scandal between Rivi and the secretaries of the Miami Dade district attorney's office. So um, suddenly he was discredited and couldn't be a star witness. Rivi. I'm like, stop "Mm." thinking with your dick. So she obviously, at least at that time, avoided the death penalty. However, she would go on to accept a plea bargain. And in 2004, she was actually released and sent back to Columbia. Are you goddamn fucking kidding me? Despite this miraculous fucking stroke of good luck, she had made too many enemies at that point and was not really welcomed home with open (laughs) arms. She lived a few years semi-peacefully I get it was hard to like know they didn't have a lot but in 2012 69 year old Griselda met her own super brutal end she was shot twice in the head outside a butcher shop in Medellin she was assassinated by a dude riding a motorcycle in a drive-by shooting shut up the same method of murder that supposedly she pioneered years before it is unclear who killed her because it was a drive-by shooting, so no right. one really knows. Some people think it may have been uh, one of Pablo Escobar's associates or maybe an a- angry family member. Griselda had so many enemies that it is far too difficult for anyone to even like begin to determine. Right. I, it, again, it could have literally been anyone. It would have been easier to say, well, we know it wasn't this baby. Right. <laughs> So Bruce Bagley, who wrote a book called Drug Crafting in America, had this great quote. Um, this is how I'm going to finish my story. So, quote, it's some kind of poetic justice that she met an end that she delivered to so many others. 
She might have retired to Columbia and wasn't anything like the kind of player she was in her early days, but she had lingering enemies almost everywhere you look, and what goes around comes around. I mean, you you don't live that kind of life. No. Without, you, you don't live that much violence. Right. And then find peace. It, it's going to be violence in the end. And I mean, on, like, I am not wishing ill against anyone, but it's kind of like, I mean, what did you expect? Like, you don't get to just float off into the sunset. Also... It always blows my mind about these like big mob bosses and these these kingpins and these uber criminals where like decades, we all know what they're doing. We all know what they're responsible for, but we just can't get them because like, well, we, we can't nail them. There, there are enough people between them and what they're doing or we can't trace it back to them. But people get murdered in the street for no reason by the police. Right. Like, like, and really, like, these people have so much money and power. And I think that's always struck me. It's like, really, you, like, people have been sent to prison on bullshit. But you can't get this person who's murdered so many people. Right. Is smuggling, like, a billion elephants worth of cocaine into the United States. Like, you're telling me that's, like, too much for you? Yeah, I don't know. It's it just kind of shows that discrepancy. And I'm not saying they shouldn't do it by the books, but I'm like, well, maybe do it by the books for everyone, please. Right. It's like, why do you pick and choose? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. And like, maybe I'm maybe I'm making this into something I shouldn't. But it just it's always struck me. It's like, oh, well, we we couldn't get them or we didn't have enough concrete evidence. It's like, how many stories have I heard where you didn't have concrete evidence? And that person still went to the electric chair and then we found out they didn't do it. So it was about half half an elephant a month. Half an elephant a month. Elephants weigh like 7000 pounds. OK. OK. So like six elephants a year. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of cocaine. You know, it sounds a large amount it of sounds cocaine. less than elephants. Yeah, though. sorry, I'm disappointed by the number of <laughs> you elephants. really wanted it, so I did it. I wanted a minimum of twelve elephants. I wanted a full elephant's worth of cocaine a month. <laughs> you know, maybe there were some lean months. Yeah, exactly. Know. Maybe they just like. Maybe it was just like they took her entire career from when she was born to when she died, and it yeah. just equaled out to half an elephant a month. Yeah, but like in the peak, six it was elephants, like two a elephants a month. Yeah. <laughs> There's a bit in Frasier where uh, one of the characters is musing about how many muffins they could eat in a year, and they're like doing the math. Mm, they're like, "Wow, muffins. my life seems suddenly seems so long when measured in muffins." And I'm like, "Oh, I thought the cocaine would seem like more measured in elephants." Yeah, you'd think so. <laughs> it seems so significant, insignificant when measured in elephants. Man, no, that's wild. And, he, and here's the thing: like, obviously, we are not condoning anything this person was doing. Um, I just. So if anyone's like, wow, they weren't like harsh enough on her, fuck her and the elephant that she rode in on, the coke elephant she rode in on. Um, but people get to have this this fascination and almost this sense of respect and awe for characters like Al Capone and John Dillinger and, you know, Bonnie and Clyde and all that. And we do not hear about her, even though, and Pablo Escobar, like, they're still making documentaries about that dude. Why do we not know about her? Right. Especially. Now you do. Well, and especially because, uh, obviously, there are women who are high rollers in, like, 
the drug world. You know, they're the queen pins, if you will, whatever. But we don't hear about them. And they seem like the oddity. So you think they'd get more attention for being like a novelty almost. Like You'd think so. Like they're women in a man's world when actually that's not entirely the case. Right. I don't know. That's just, that's so interesting. And also whenever we talk about, which isn't often, organized crime, I'm like, yeah, this is, this is exactly what goes down in business. People aren't necessarily murdering each other, but that same kind of like, oh, you're invading our market, so we're going to try to push you out. There's a reason that a lot of psychopaths, if they don't end up as like murderers, end up as CEOs. Yes. No. A hundred percent. And honestly, she was just like, yeah, okay, I've got a great mind for business. I'm willing to make tough decisions to grow my business. But that just also includes murdering people. Right. Like she also did a bunch of terrible shit. Yeah. But yeah, just the the line between, you know, these successful CEOs and her, it's kind of thin. But yeah, no, we definitely, uh, I'm glad you shared that story. Maya Rudolph slash Sofia Vergara, they're both very proud of your telling. And thank you for Aww. sharing with us. Because goddamn La Madrina, she was a... Right, like how many nicknames did she have? She, she had La Madrina slash the Godmother. Yep. She had Black, Black Widow. Widow and Queen of Cocaine. Queen of Cocaine. You know, I would title that the, the episode, but I feel like we'll Black, get flagged. The, the <laughs> Black Widow Godmother of Cocaine. The Queen Black Widow Ooh, of Cocaine. The Queen Black Widow Godmother of Cocaine. Yes. I was nodding at Emily. I was just also finishing my wine. Because that kind of name requires a significant swig of wine. Jesus yeah. Christ. It's beautiful. Well, Kelly, other than not being involved in the horrifying murderous drug trade, <laughs> uh, what are you thinking for? Cowboy Wars. Yeah. Uh, you know. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Man. That name is great. I'm glad, though, that no period of my life could even be close to categorize as the Cowboy Cocaine Wars. Oh. I, I, I feel like the worst I would have win. like <laughs> Kelly's brain fucks with her like, <laughs> side story. Emily, Emily's stressed out mental health problem induced high school amnesia period. Right. <laughs> um, I'm thankful for people putting up with my bullshit lately. I've been, no, I've been, I'm, I'm not laughing to like laugh at you, but just the way you said that. I've been not, mental health well <laughs> mental health wise doing well there we go that's the full sentence i like that um, i've not been mental health well i mean it's true so i appreciate my friends and everyone that has put up with me lately and like even though there are a few people that have gotten kind of mad at me and then it made me mad cuz why wouldn't it when you're not having good mental health but I still appreciate people sticking around and like dealing with me and Justin being like, hey, like you need to fix some shit, which is exactly complete side story. That is exactly why. And I've told Emily this like in college and stuff as I got older and I was, you know, like kind of looking to settle down and whatnot, you know, it was very much like. I know there are certain people I can't be with because if they're a pushover, it's not going to be good for me because you, if I'm, you need boundaries. I, it's not even necessarily that I need boundaries, but I need people to tell me when I'm being a fucking idiot. 
And while he doesn't do it often and Justin will let me get away with a lot of it, like (laughs) there's a line and he'll be like, Kelly, get out of your own head. Like he says it nicer than this. Yes. Yeah. He's not an asshole. The spirit of it. Exactly. Like, and I've told Emily that before. And so like, I appreciate him. I appreciate you. And I appreciate like, you haven't been like as strongly worded as he has, but still like being like, Hey, like we have shit we need to get done. Me being like, I'm avoiding it. And you're like, yeah, but we need to get it done. And I'm like, fine. I guess so. Well, honestly, and that, I, that makes me feel good because I, it, it can be really hard. Right. Especially as someone else who struggles with, you know, mental health issues. Like, okay, when when do you need to push and when do you need to step back? Right. You know, and, and that kind of thing. So I do appreciate it. And yeah, so that's, I'm I'm thankful for the people there that do push me. And, you know, are willing to stay by my side through my bullshit. Well, babe, you got the cushion and I'll do the pushing. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. What are right. you thankful well, for, Let's darling? take a quick break while Kelly and I just pound Yeah, out. We'll, we'll, we'll be right back, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Brief pause. Um, okay, so. Well, first of all, I am very thankful for you for putting up with my bullshit because I didn't realize that we had actually missed two weeks of episodes we had an episode ready but on the day I was going to edit it uh my friend went into labor five weeks early yeah I had I had so I had agreed to watch her eight-year-old daughter but again I was not prepared because this wasn't supposed to happen for five weeks and I was going to be ready early I just wasn't over a month early right you know ready um so I get I get I got the call sorry that I wasn't around to help you that day no no you are fine so I got the call 7 a.m on Sunday um I had stayed up way too late the night before because I'm like I'm gonna sleep in I'm gonna get a bunch of stuff done around the house and have like a super productive day and I get the call from my friend she's like yeah I'm gushing water (laughs) can you Mm. meet me at the hospital that sounds so bad so I get there by eight quick trip coffee in hand not shower, just like, what's happening? What? Um, and so her her eight year old daughter, who I've known since she was born, she's a great kid, um, and I love her. Uh, so she was staying with me for like three nights and four days. So I got to play like Auntie M, like dropping her off at school, which was two towns away, picking her up and having to juggle work and podcast stuff while also having a child that needed to be entertained. And I have a decided, I like, I don't have a child friendly home. I had a bunch of right. like toys for her to play with and she had stuff to do, but you know, like I had to keep her entertained. So we're going to the park and we're going on walks and like, I got the cats and the, or the cat and the dogs to deal right, with. Like, and like, at, fortunately well, they did like very the well. Dogs are super like people oriented. So I'm sure like yeah. they kept her entertained a little. The whole first day that Sunday, Arthur, my cat, you wouldn't have known I had a cat. Um, he was just gone. He was he was gone. He, I think That's he funny. hid in the basement like the whole time. But but he started to like come around after that. But um, I am very so th- I I had my guest room that was full of garage sale stuff because I didn't get to have my garage sale thanks to the weather. And I was going to spend that Sunday already moving it to the basement. But now I'm like. I was going to have a bed frame. Like that's not a guest room right now. That room was empty and just full of shit. So 
not only do I not have a proper bedroom set up, like I don't have the stuff for a proper bedroom. So like fortunately I had an air mattress and some extra blankets and an extra night. Like I set up a pretty nice room, all things considered. And yeah, so I had an eight-year-old for four days and it got a little crazy. Um, And I was very thankful, one, for the opportunity to, you know, help out my friend because I've been Auntie Emily uh, since her daughter was born. But for the past couple of years, because of the pandemic, I really haven't seen her. So this was a nice opportunity to kind of get to know her as a person again. She's eight. So she's like very different from, you know, being the little tot and the baby that I used to hang out with all the time. Um, I'm also thankful that my friend asked for help and was felt comfortable coming to me being like, when I have this baby, will you watch my daughter while I'm in the hospital? And I was like, oh my God, I'm just, I'm touched. I'm also very thankful to Kelly for putting up with my bullshit. I had a, I had a bit of a panic moment um, where I, I had gotten home with, with Q, the little, the eight-year-old and she was watching Disney plus and I've got this room that's packed full of crap. And I'm like, I'm very overwhelmed right now because this all just happened and I have had zero sleep um, and I'm kind of freaking out. So I texted Kelly. I was like, can you come over and help me move this shit out of my room? And you weren't available. And that was fine because this was like, oh my God, I'm texting you out of nowhere. But I was able to do it. I was so proud of you when you were like, I got it all done. I was like, yeah. Because you're like, well, I can't really come over until the afternoon. I was like, that's okay. I can do this. I'm a badass woman. Just, Just keep encouraging me and you did and I appreciate it so so that 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 was like an explanation for why the last couple weeks we haven't really had episodes slash apology slash I'm thankful I was able to be there for my friend her baby her okay her baby was fine I probably should have said that at the very beginning five weeks early little baby Jay is fine he's great stay in the hospital like super long no she got discharged before he did just because he was a preemie and you know they want to make sure he was all right but no he's he's doing great the whole family's back together doing great and um i am getting more opportunities to be auntie m because i gave i gave q a bunch of coupons for like special outings that she gets to use once a month because, like, she's been an only child for eight years, and mom needs a right, fucking break. Right, exactly. So I'm like, once a month, I will take you out of the house so your mom doesn't have to deal with you, and you get to do something fun. So I'm taking her on a, a special outing, and she's very excited for it. I'm excited for it. I think my friend is very excited for it. And this is the friend also. Hey, Sid. She made the first ever whining about her three wine glass. Like the first summer we were doing this podcast, I told her yeah, about before it. Before we were like, should we make our own? Yeah, and no, we, we did. We had we had no idea what the fuck was going on. I think it was like that first summer she had a cricket and she took a took a blank wine glass that she just had and printed out in very basic gold letters, whining about her street. And I still have that wine glass. Right. So she's also like a very important part yeah, you, of our podcast. You break lore. the one I make you, but the one of from Sydney, you're fine with. No, okay, I'm here's totally the thing. Kidding. That's a beautiful bookend because she made the first one and I broke one of the ones you made me because I was cleaning the glass after Q had finally gotten picked up and gone and home. And I was like, like I'm having some wine. I fucking need some wine right now. 
and I was drying the glass and it just broke. And I was like, <laughs> I'm like, I can only handle so much. She was really good too. It's just, I went from being child free to suddenly having a child. Right. And it, oh no, you know, I don't blame you at all. There's I a hope lot you of demand. I, you. I bought um I bought a lot of Yoda graham or not graham crackers, goldfish crackers, mm. unicorn mac and cheese. Like I'm like, what do kids eat? It's been a while. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was it was great. Baby's doing well. That was a really long explanation. It's been a it's it's been a little crazy. So thank you to also to all of our listeners. I'm grateful to you for your patience, for your engagement, and for the listeners who are binging us right now or who have binged us. That is one of the highest compliments. As Seriously. Much as we, we are so appreciative of the people who have been here, you know, since like day one or two. But just the idea that we are bingeable, that we are consumable en masse is ridiculous to me because I'm like we've got to be insufferable right apparently not apparently we get ten dollars you know Canadian tenors with Viola Desmond's face on them because we're bingeable I love you (laughs) like Justine I love you so much I love you too Justine and all of our other listeners and we've gotten some reviews Mm -hmm. they're like I binged them and I'm like are you okay I love you but are you okay but yeah Thank you, Exhale, for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. Like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory. Instagram at WAHpod. Twitter at WAH underscore pod. Jesus. <laughs> your, web- your phone's blowing up. It's going I down. I it on silent. I don't She's know why. She's yelling it's- timber. Um, WAH underscore pod. Our website's whiningabouthistory.com where you can find our merch. You can contact us. You can find a link to our Patreon page where you can donate for as little as $1 to get bonus content. We have a new interview coming out soon where you can watch the video. It's going to be... It's going to be sweet. It's going to be very emotional. I, I don't know yeah. about for you. I it's, might cry. It's an intense book. It's going to be a lot. Um, I'm also definitely in hero worship mode where I'm like, do you just want to hit me with your car? Would that make everything better? Because right. you can do that. <laughs> it's okay. Also, you can uh, find our P.O. box on our website if you want to send us some cool, I don't know, more Canadian dollar. more or foreign, whatever. More foreign money with with women on them because in the United or States stamps. we are desta- decidedly lacking in fem bucks. Ooh. Buxom bucks. Ooh, Ooh I like that. Was, that. That's yeah. hot. That's going to be my spinoff, Bucks yeah. and Bucks. Bucks That's going to be my uh, OnlyFans name, Bucks and Bucks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> Raise five stars wherever you listen. Please. As always, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day, y'all. Bye. Stay spooky, bitches. <laughs>